Well, good morning, church family, and I, I hope that you all have had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, today is uh, the first Sunday of Advent, and it's a time and a season where we prepare ourselves for Christmas. Advent is a season of celebration, and it's a season of anticipation. It's a season of celebration where we remember uh, the coming of Christ as a babe in Bethlehem. The mystery of godliness. God appeared in a body. And he came to rescue us and bring us to God. It's a season of celebration and of anticipation as well. Because he who came as an infant is coming again uh, as a conquering king. Where he will remake the heavens and the earth into the new heavens and the new earth and we will receive new bodies and we will receive eternal, unbreakable gifts. And so I've uh, titled this series leading up to Christmas, Gifts Your Kids Can't Break. Now, I don't think our children understand gifts at all. Really. I mean, think about it. We go out starting on uh, uh, Black Friday, and uh, we set our tents up at Megastore State Park. You know, it used to be you uh, could go out with like a sweater or a light jacket on, and now it appears that you need Kevlar and goggles if you want to uh, go. And then once you get into the store, you uh, pepper spray all the other customers so that you can get what you want, right? And you bring then... Uh, that gift uh, after you've, you know, swiped the card and carried the gift. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't mix that up, okay? Uh, but you, you bring your gift out into the, the parking lot, right? And that's where, that's where the danger really is because at 2 in the morning, there are thieves out in the parking lot. And it's a, it's a turkey shoot, isn't it? And so you get your gift and then you bring it home and you're so giddy about it because you want your kids to just go crazy, uh, be as excited as you are. And so you wrap it, you put it underneath the tree and then you wait and then Christmas Day comes and our little tykes scramble downstairs and rip open the present and they, they get it out and they play with it and you are elated it's just as you dream oh my gosh where's my camera so you go back into the kitchen and you find your digital camera and then once you get it and you get it on and everything you come back out and to your dis- dismay to your dismay your little angel is playing with the box And then they grow up. And 30 years later, they become adults. And you know what the difference is? <laughs> we, we hope it's sooner than that, but you know. <laughs> the only difference is 30 years later, the only difference 30 years later is 30 years. Really. If you're one of God's children, you have been given gifts beyond your wildest imagination. Gorgeous from every perspective. Gifts so grand, it is hard to wrap human vocabulary around them. Gifts that every human being needs. Gifts 
that in all of your work and all of your effort and all of your achievement, you could never, ever have earned or deserved. These are gifts given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Gifts of redemption, inheritance, the Holy Spirit, grace, unbreakable, imperishable gifts which go on for eternity and get better and better and better and better. In the face of these gifts, how many of us are content to play with the box? Our Advent reading today discusses this first gift that I want us to talk about, the gift of redemption. Redemption, Exodus chapter 15, 13 was read, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. That verse is a lyric in a song that was sung by Moses when God had redeemed his people from Egyptian slavery. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14 tells of this redemption at the Red Sea. Exodus 14, you'll find that on page 50 of your church Bibles. And Exodus chapter 14 is really one of those passages of Scripture that you know, once, once you get it and you internalize it and master it, then it will help you understand the Bible as a whole. Uh, because Exodus 14 discusses the theme of redemption, and redemption appears all over the Bible, and it's grounded in this account here Exodus chapter 14. Uh, someone has called Exodus 14 a grand story that gets reenacted and repeated throughout the Bible. And especially when we consider the first coming of Christ and the birth of Jesus and his work of redemption. And here's what I mean by that. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, it's a simple verse. It says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. What's that about? Well, if you recall, after Jesus was born, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they fled to Egypt. Why? Well, because uh, Herod wanted to take Jesus' life. And so they fled to Egypt, and then after Herod died... They returned, and in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, the returning was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophet Hosea in Hosea 11, verse 1. Hosea 11, verse 1 refers to Exodus 14, this redemption out of Egypt, and yet Matthew ties the exodus of Christ out of Egypt with this event in Exodus 14. As if to say that Jesus is the true Israel who came out of Egypt 
to do the work of redemption. So let's talk about redemption this morning, and I want to answer three questions as we consider these verses. The first is, what is redemption? Let's come up with a definition. Secondly, how, how is redemption received? And then thirdly, why does God give it at all? What, how, and why? First the what, first the definition. If you look at the Bible, we learn that redemption, redemption is this, um, deliverance by means of a ransom payment. That's redemption. Deliverance. Redemption is, is about delivering. Redemption is about, redemption is about God getting us out. God getting us out of a hostile kingdom into his kingdom. Redemption is about what God does to move us from a place of death into a place of life. Redemption is about God reversing slavery so that his people can serve him. Jesus himself defined redemption best in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So redemption is about crossing over from a kingdom of death to a kingdom of life. And that's really what we see in Exodus 14 God's people had been slaves to Egypt over 400 years. They'd first come to Egypt as welcome guests and flourished. But one of Egypt's pharaohs grew insecure and feared a takeover. And so he abused and enslaved them. And centuries later, God sent Moses to be the deliverer. And 10 plagues later, and each one of those plagues that God inflicted upon Egypt... Uh, was connected to an Egyptian idol as if God was saying, I am Lord over all of your puny, lifeless gods. After 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally relented and he released God's people. But then he changed his mind. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and lost their services. Oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Go get them and bring them back. Who's going to build my pyramids for me? Who's going to do my dry cleaning for me? What's all, what, what, I, I don't have anybody. And, 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 and he had his chariots made ready and he took his army with him. Verse 7 says he took 600 of the best chariots, and that detail is intentionally given to uh, tip the reader off to the technological advantage that the Egyptian empire had over God's people. Along with all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly and so God's people who'd been released saw this army coming straight at them and they panicked look at verse 10 they were terrified and cried out to the Lord they said to Moses was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt didn't we say to you to Egypt leave us alone let us serve the Egyptians it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert now did they really say that 
No, no, no. Let's see. Uh, Exodus 4, 29 and 30. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. But here, I mean, here at the first sign of trouble, they just panic. Think about it. God had just redeemed them from bondage, but they weren't free. God had just broken the will of Pharaoh. God had just inflicted 10 plagues, sweeping it over all of Egypt. And God's people passed through those plagues without a scratch. Pharaoh has released them. They're no longer slaves, but they're still acting like slaves, aren't they? See, it's one thing to take the slave out of bondage, but it's another thing to take the bondage out of the slave. Objectively, they were free, but in their hearts, they weren't. But this is us, isn't it? Isn't it? Redemption, God acting to liberate us through Christ from the hostile kingdom, the prince of the power of the air, Paul says in Ephesians, the flesh. The world, we've been redeemed from, from, uh, from those conspirators trying to keep us in bondage. We've been released into his eternal kingdom of love. But here's the deal, and this is what you need to know. Those old taskmasters, those idols, those pharaohs, they are not just going to let you walk away. They're not. They're going to go after you. They're going to fight for you. They want you to think that you, Pharaoh wants you to think that you need him. Pharaoh wants you to think that your sole purpose and fulfillment in life is serving him. You, you're not paying attention to that Pharaoh, are you? Are you? Well, here are some questions from uh, just a solid Christian leader and writer, a guy by the name of David Pallison. Here are some questions to determine if Pharaoh is getting the best of you. Questions like, what do you organize your life around? What do you want, crave, or wish for? What do you obsess over? What preoccupies you? What do you find your mind instinctively drifting towards? What fills your conversations? What are you willing to sacrifice an inordinate amount to attain? What do you fear losing? What, if you lost it, would make you lose your desire to live because all meaning in life would vanish? All desire to move forward would be lost. What do you rejoice over? What brings you greatest pleasure? What must you have? How do you define success? Or failure? How do you weigh significance or insignificance? Who, real or imagined, can make your world better, safer, more satisfying? Whom must you please? From whom do you desire approval and fear rejection? And then the last question How do you define yourself? Redemption. 
God's delivered us. And, and here's what we need to understand. When we read the Bible, church family, you, you never, if you read the Bible, you will never get the idea that Christianity is for you know, well-adjusted people who just need a little redemptive boost. That's not what I see here. Redemption is nothing less than the rescue of helpless people facing an eternity of torment apart from God's love. And Pharaoh is going to go after us. Now, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Well, let's see how God's people responded and learn. Look at verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord is bringing you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Move on? Where to? The sea. The sea. Pharaoh must have seen this and just laughed. This is going to be easy. Because no military strategist would ever order their people to go toward the ocean, toward the sea. I mean, this is like, this is too good to be true. No military strategist would do this unless you're God. And then you have a reason. Note the instructions here. Stand firm, be still, and move on. So which are they to do? All of them. The point is that the power of redemption is in God. The Lord is the one doing the fighting. Be still. And by the way, that's a kind translation, be still. The the idea behind that is not, they're there, Father God is here, all is well. No, that's not the idea. The idea is, would you be quiet and let me get to work? That's the idea. God wants us to respond to his redeeming power with trust. Trust that he will come through, that he will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I'll admit, that's hard. I mean, sometimes being still, they were under pressure. They had the ocean at their back. They had Pharaoh's army coming. And, it, you know, it's hard to be still when you're under that much pressure, yet God acted, didn't he? And through his servant Moses, he parted the waters of the Red Sea and two walls formed. Look at verses 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land and the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Can you just put yourself in that scene? We're talking about two million people. We're talking about, we're talking about people who who just, I mean, they were facing a sentence of death and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God acted in a cataclysmic way and provided a way through, a way out. And two million people, I mean, there had to be different responses to this miracle, right? I mean, some of them probably just strutted like a peacock. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that, Pharaoh. Others panicked, ah, but they kept walking. They kept walking. Hebrews eleven twenty nine says, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. Some moved on in panic. Some, <laughs> some plotted, some uh, some uh, went wondering what's going to happen, but they all were redeemed. And you know what that tells me? 
that tells me that we are not, listen, we're not redeemed by the quality of our faith. We are redeemed by the object of our faith. You're not redeemed by the emotional temperature of your trust. You're redeemed by the power of our almighty God. And that's why I like Hebrews 11.1 1 in the King James Version, which says, now faith is the substance, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you see, my faith doesn't rest on how I'm feeling emotionally at the moment. My faith rests on God's power. A pastor would meet with members of his congregation for spiritual direction. And kind of in the middle of their conversation, the pastor would just ask this question, which kind of came out of the blue, but it was a very well-intended question. And the question is this, are you a Christian? And many would respond, well, I'm trying. I'm trying. And at that point, the pastor would lovingly inform the church member that they have absolutely no idea what Christianity is about. Because Christianity is not about you trying to be a Christian or you trying to make yourself a Christian. It's not. It's about crossing over from death to life. So you either are or you're not. You're either redeemed or you're not redeemed. Once you were, Paul says in Ephesians, but now you are. Now, do you, do you know the power of this? I mean, think about the life of think about the life of Moses, who was a murderer. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer. And somehow, the love of God and the gospel of redemption cut through his self-righteousness. And he realized who Jesus was and what he had done. Paul must have sensed this. He must have sensed this in Ephesians 3.8. He says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to share the very message that changed his life. So here Paul had this, this passion and this humility and some, some of you might say, well, well, I know that's how God feels about me, but I know he's forgiven me. I just need to forgive myself. No, you don't. No, you don't. Here's what you need to do. You need to choose to believe that what God says about you is more important than what you want to believe about you. That's what you need to do. Because redemption says that God's approval of me is what matters most. You don't need to forgive yourself. With respect, you need to forget yourself. And you need to remember what God says about you. Sometimes forgiving myself is just really another idol that needs to be left in Egypt. You see, nothing in my life, there's nothing in my life, and there's, there's nothing in Israel's life could motivate God to redeem them, really. So why did he? 
Well, that's the third question I want to talk about. Redemption is, is, is God acting so that we can cross over from death to life. Redemption is received by trusting God, trusting what he says about us more than what we think about ourselves. And then, redemption is based on God's unfailing love. Isn't that what we heard in our Advent reading? In your unfailing love, O Lord, you led your people whom you have redeemed. You see, here's the deal. God simply just didn't pluck Israel out of Egypt. He bought their freedom to satisfy his own standards of justice. Because if deliverance, if if redemption is deliverance by means of a ransom, who's the ransom being paid to? God's justice. God pays himself. He satisfies his sense of justice for our sin for the Israelites' sin. Listen, it's easy to read Exodus chapter 14 and think that, well, the reason why God redeemed Israel uh, was because, you know, Israel, well, they were the good guys and the Egyptians, they were the bad guys. And so God redeemed the good guys and left the bad guys to fry. That's the deal. That's the story. That's not the story. That's not the story. God redeemed Israel Because he loved Israel. In his unfailing love. Despite. Despite themselves. Years later. When Israel was about to enter the promised land. Listen to this verse. From Joshua 24, 14. Now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped in Egypt. You understand what that means? It means that Israel and Egypt attended the same church. God didn't rescue his people because they were more worthy. They were all, no one was innocent in Egypt. None whatsoever. And so the reason why Israel was spared and Egypt was not was because Israel had an acceptable substitute. The night before their redemption was complete, God had said, you need to take the life of a precious and innocent lamb and you take that blood and you spread it over the doorpost or else I will take your firstborn. And you must understand, the firstborn was the, was the symbol of hope and, and the future for the family. What was true of the firstborn would be true of the family. And so God said, I'm going to take the life of the lamb instead of the life of the firstborn. And Israel had an acceptable substitute. Egypt did not. And you can hear this foreshadowing The coming of Jesus, can you not? When John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our substitute. Out of God's unfailing love, he provided a substitute whose blood was shed in place of their own. And out of God's unfailing love, he not only provided a substitute, but he provided a mediator. You see that in verse 15? Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Now, wait a minute. 
The Israelites cried out in rebellion, and yet God is the one who rebukes Moses. Why is that? Because Moses has come to represent the people. Moses was so identified with God's people that in speaking to him, God was speaking to them. On the other hand, Moses was so identified with God that uh, he was an instrument of God's power. So, So Moses gets rebuked for their sin and Moses gets used as God's power. As someone said, Moses was the man in the middle between God and God's people. And of course, this foreshadows the coming of one who would be a greater Moses, right? Jesus who would be rebuked not just for one sin in one verse, but for the sins of the entire world. You know, at one point in the book of Exodus, God gets so frustrated with his people, he just said, I'm gonna wipe everybody out, and Moses, I'm gonna make a new nation out of you. And Moses said, no, Lord. Please, forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And of course, God didn't do that. But years later, when the greater Moses appeared, Jesus said the same thing. And you know what? God did on the cross. He blotted him out for us because of his unfailing love. And it's out of this love that God calls his people to be holy. Listen, Where did they go after they crossed the sea? Where were they headed? Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? They received the Ten Commandments. They received the law. Notice it wasn't the other way around, was it? Huh? It wasn't, I'm gonna give you the law and I'm gonna see how you do and then if I think you did it well enough, then I'll redeem you. Didn't happen that way, did it? God redeemed his people And then he told his people, I want you to be holy because I've redeemed you. That's what Leviticus chapter 11 verse 45 says. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy. Our ability to be holy, our ability to live as light in this world is not based on our ability to keep the commands Rather, our our ability to be salt and light in this world is based on what God has done, his strength to redeem us. And the more you meditate over God's redemptive work, the more you see what he has done, then the the holier you will be. One person put it this way. The more you understand that your redemption has nothing to do with your behavior, the better you will behave. Isn't that true? I want you to imagine for just one minute that you're driving down the road and your car stalls at the railroad tracks. Of course, you're nervous because you're on the railroad tracks. You try to start the car and it's not going. And you're concerned that a train might come and then you hear the horn, the train horn. 
And uh, that train is quickly closing the gap between it and you. And the engine's horn is blaring and the brakes have been thrown. And, and you're, you're too close. He's coming too fast. And, and, and then you move from trying to get out, uh, uh, get, get your car off the track. Now you're trying to just get out of your car. And, and you're fumbling for the seatbelts. And, and the seatbelts aren't moving. They're not going anywhere. And the train is rushing toward you. And you know you're going to be hit. You know you're going to be hit. And in fact, you are hit. You're hit from behind. A guy in a truck behind you has seen the whole thing. And he decided to ram into your car and push you off the tracks, even as he is destroyed by the impact in the very spot that you once occupied. So you get out of the car. You're shaken. You're frightened. You're terrified by this gruesome scene. You're in shock over your rescuer's sacrifice. And you're grateful, so very grateful in a way that you've never been grateful before because you have been redeemed. And even in your terrified awe, you feel so good to be alive. And you're woozy, you sit down on the trunk, you, you fiddle in your pocket, you try to get out your cell phone to call 911. And you can't believe how that violent shove did so little damage to your rear bumper. And that's when you hear the whimper inside your trunk. You see, what you didn't know is, before you left the house, your kids were playing hide and seek. And your youngest son decided to hide in that trunk. And as you open it up frantically and you discover that your child doesn't have a scratch on him, you suddenly realize the total greatness of your redemption. Question, are you gonna be a better father or not because of that redemption? You see what I'm getting at here? We have crossed over from death to life. God's already acted. I don't want you to read this verse going home and saying, okay, God, you know, get me out of this jam again. Listen to me. He's already done that. He did that at Calvary on the cross where that cross sank deeply into the ocean of death. And its waters divided, and you and I march straight across as on dry land to God's kingdom. We've been redeemed because of his unfailing love. And what you need to understand this, this Christmas, is that redemption is not, redemption cannot be merely a get out of hell free card. No. Redemption is Jesus bringing us to the Father where we learn to treasure him as our greatest possession ever. And when we do that, that changes the way we live, changes the way we love, changes our friendships, changes how we see this world. We've been redeemed. Amen.